Well, this evening we're continuing with our series, A Firm Foundation, Core Doctrines of the Christian Faith. And if you are astute, you might see a theme already, and that is the theme of faith. Tonight, we're going to be looking at the doctrine specifically of faith, but of saving faith. But before we do so, let's go to the Lord once more in prayer. Father God, we come to you in the powerful name of Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. We approach you by faith. And we ask now that as we open your word, that you would speak to us, God, through it. We ask that here and now, collectively, our hearts would be so inclined to you. If there's any other things that our hearts have been inclined to today, seeking today, Lord, we pray that you would sever those ties and that you and you alone would be the aim and desire of our hearts. We ask by faith that you would give us eyes to behold your glory, your beauty, the excellency of your son in your word. And that by beholding you, be able to see the world rightly. By faith, we ask that you would unite us here collectively to fear your name, the name that is above all names. By faith, we ask that you would satisfy us with your steadfast love. By faith, we ask that you would lead us into truth. And by faith, we ask that here and now we would be made more like Christ to the power of your word and through you, Holy Spirit, who does the work of conforming us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm a big Cubs, I, I'm a big Cubs fan. Used to be a way bigger Cubs fan. Um, used to follow baseball a lot more. But I've often said comically and yet with some truth that being a Cubs fan is a great spiritual exercise because it really teaches you how to have faith, especially prior to the winning of the World Series. Because that was the, 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 the thing you heard all the time. You just got to have faith. Maybe this is the year. You just got to have faith. Faith's a word that we use for all sorts of things. Well, I just have faith. That's going to work out for me. And even in the church, we, we use the word faith so loosely, carelessly, maybe that's a better way to say it. We say things like, just have faith, let go, let God. But how many of us could have a really have an understanding of biblical saving faith, its power, its origins, its workings, how it's cultivated? I don't think many of us do. We have a really infantile understanding of faith. You just got to believe Jesus and you're good. And we think that's all. That's the sum and substance of faith right there. But it's not. Faith is, is so much more biblically, and especially saving faith. And so this evening, we're going to briefly look at the doctrine of saving faith. And my hope, my prayer is that each of us would be more overwhelmed 
by the beauty and the gift of faith, that we would be more careful with how we speak of faith. And that ultimately we would treasure it. And so let's jump in this evening. And our first point is called the grace of faith. Now, before we start down this at all, we have to define terms. What is faith? The primary word that our New Testament uses for faith is the Greek noun, pistis. It means to to believe in, to rely on, to have the full assurance of, to have confidence in, to trust, conviction of belief. Interestingly, that word confidence is two Latin words, con fide, with faith. That's what confidence means, with faith. And it's vitally important for us to have a proper understanding, especially as it relates to biblical faith, because one of the other wrongheaded notions is that biblical faith starts where thinking stops. So many people do not look at faith as something to have confidence in or conviction of. Faith is just kind of this feeling, this hope. It's, it has nothing to do with having actual foundations or grounds. Take, take a leap of faith into the dark. Just jump. Have faith that God will catch you. But biblical faith is not like that at all. Biblical faith is rooted in things and in someone. That is why biblical faith is a faith of conviction. Biblical faith has its foundation in the word of God. Our faith is not contrary to evidence, but it's faith that has evidence. But that evidence is the revealed word of God. So I want to first take faith and break it down into three very important categories to help us understand Because what we're going to see is that there are two options when it comes to faith. And only one of them is actually saving. So if you were to take faith, we're going to break it into three categories, knowledge, belief, and trust. In order to have true saving faith, there has to be a certain level of knowledge, meaning you have to have a certain understanding of the content of what you have faith in, right? You have to know the core and key beliefs of what it means to be a follower of Christ if you're truly going to believe and be saved. This is why you can't say, well, you know, I believe in Jesus. Great. What do you know about him? He's God. I think he did this whole cross thing. No, there's a body of of doctrine of essential truths that we must know if we are to have true faith. This is why, again, it's so important that we don't give little children false assurance. So many parents, my kid loves VBS. He loves Awana. He memorized John 3, 16. He's definitely a Christian. No, now he may just be a spiritual parrot. 
He doesn't, he or she may not have enough biblical knowledge yet. They may not understand that God is three in one Trinitarian. They may not understand that Jesus is fully God and existed before he took, he took upon flesh. And so there's certain essential doctrinal biblical beliefs that we have to have in place first. There's a base of knowledge that's required. This is why, again, also we need to be weary of lift a hand, walk an aisle conversions. If somebody says that they have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to sit down with them. We need to disciple them. We need to catechize them. We need to make sure that they have a base level understanding of the essential truths of the Christian faith. People don't get converted on emotions. So there's knowledge. The second component is belief. And what I mean by the belief here is conviction that the actual knowledge, the content is true. People can know a lot about what the Bible says and what our doctrines are and what our beliefs are. That doesn't mean that they have conviction that it's true. So we have to have knowledge, but we have to have belief, conviction. You can know something and not believe it to be true. I've spent time studying the Quran. I can talk intelligibly about the Quran. I have no belief in any of that being true. So we have to have a cognitive conviction of the truth of the doctrine of the Christian faith. And this is why this point is so dangerous. Because so many get to this place and they think they've arrived at true saving faith. This is the, the danger because this is so deceptive. Men and women thoroughly convinced, thoroughly convinced of the truth of Christianity, the truth of the triune God, the truth of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thoroughly convinced of Pauline authorship of the 13 letters. Thoroughly convinced that the Bible is inspired, inerrant, infallible, sufficient, clear, authoritative, necessary. They are sold on all of that. But just you, because you believe and can defend parachutes doesn't mean anything if you never jump. And so the third component is, is actual trust. True saving faith has knowledge, belief, and trust. That's the part where so many never make it. They think they do, but they don't actually make it because trust means every desire, every decision, every action is done by putting it in the very hands of Christ and doing and obeying what he has said in his word. There must be personal trust and personal reliance upon God to have true saving faith. We have lots of knowledgeable, cognitively believing unsaved people. Some of them teach Sunday school classes. Some of them walk up to pulpits every Sunday. Some of them join the mission field and go across the world doing the work of the Lord. All the while, they have never personally trusted and relied upon Christ. 
This goes back to one of the sermons we had two Sunday mornings ago. They're fans, not followers. They're like the man, uh, perhaps some women, who love football, so they have an amazing fantasy football team. They can tell you all about the players. They can orchestrate the rosters, but they never actually get on the gridiron. They've never played a day of football in their life. They're fans. So true saving faith, we have to know at the outset, has a body of knowledge, has to have belief that that body of knowledge is true, and then has to have personal reliance and trust upon Christ. James 2.19 is a terrifying verse because we see that in James 2.19, demons have the first two. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons also believe and shudder. The demons have a certain level of knowledge. They have a certain level of convictional belief. We can go a step further and say they might do better than most of us because they even have reverency. But they don't have personal trust and reliance upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Perhaps no verse for me personally, this is opinion now, better captures the knowledge, belief, and trust formula of saving faith than Galatians 2.20. Because in Galatians 2.20, we see a certain base knowledge of understanding, belief of it, and also personal reliance. Galatians 2.20, the apostle Paul writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. There's doctrine, there's convictional belief, but there's personal trust. He says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. True faith sees Christ as their life. Now, the word faith is used in a variety of ways throughout the New Test- throughout the entire Bible, and especially in the New Testament. But today, I want to focus on the aspect of faith that is saving faith, which is faith that believes in Christ. Because there's faith in miracles, there's faith in promises, there's faith in a variety of things, and those are good things. But today, we want to narrow our focus, saving faith, belief, faith that believes in Christ. The Baptist Catechism, also known as Keech's Catechism, defines faith in Christ this way in question 93. What is faith in Jesus Christ? Answer, faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel, end quote. There's important parts there. One is that it's a saving grace, which we're going to see momentarily what it means by a grace. But we see that it's a receiving and a resting upon him alone, nothing else, as he has offered to us in the gospel. That's extremely important because saving faith has belief in the Lord Jesus Christ as he's revealed in God's word, not according to our own imaginations or whatever Christian book is on the bestsellers list. Saving faith has to come from the word of God. Listen to some passages that that support this definition, uh, this answer to the catechism. Our first Hebrews 10.39 is our first passage. 
Hebrews 10.39 reads, But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the pre, uh, preserving of the soul, preserving of the soul. It's faith that God will hold on to me, preserve me, not lose me because of Christ. John chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. There's a receiving. Or Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. The Apostle Paul writes, and being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Or the last one, Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Justifying, justified there is being used in the sense of being declared righteous before God, which is the way of saying you have truly been saved. In the New Testament, especially in the Gospels, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is described beautifully in three different ways. Faith in Christ is first described as looking to him, looking to Christ. John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him... Whoever believes will have eternal life. Now, when Moses lifted up the serpent, the Israelites had to lift their faces off the ground. They had to stop looking at the snakes that were biting them, and they had to look upon the bronze serpent on the pole. They had to look to him. Likewise, we need to look unto Christ lifted up on the cross to have true saving faith. It's also described as coming to him, coming to Christ. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11, verses 28 and 29. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Faith, saving faith, looks to Christ. Saving faith comes to Christ. And lastly, saving faith receives Christ. John chapter 1, verse 12 again. But as many received him, to them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. This is what faith is. 
Faith is having a knowledge, a belief, a trust on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that faith is displayed by looking to him, coming to him, receiving him, and him alone for your salvation as he is revealed in God's word. That is how faith is talked about. Saving faith is talked about in our, in our Bibles, in God's word. Now, another important thing for us to understand about what is saving faith, we have to understand that faith itself, saving faith, is a gift from God. So many people think that faith is something I have in me and I exercise. I am going to choose to put my faith in God. But they miss the fact that that very faith that they have, that they are putting in God, they are. The only reason they have that faith is because God's given it to them. Apart from God giving you faith to put in Christ, you had no faith to put in Christ. Faith is a gift. This is why we say the grace of faith, because it is a grace. It is a, something God has freely given. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And here it is. And this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. Do you realize if faith is something you have that God has not given you, then it would be a work done by you and would give grounds for boasting. So the very faith that you have put in Christ was God's gift to you. So you can't even take credit for your faith. Which is why all glory always goes to God. Second Peter chapter 1. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 1. Listen how Peter writes. Simeon Peter, a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received the same kind of faith as ours. Peter just said that faith was something they received, not something they necessarily exercised. It is a gift of God. To put it another way, the faith that you and I have as disciples of Christ has its origin in God, its source in God, it was something that we received through regeneration. So something you've probably heard me say before is regeneration precedes faith. But we could also say regeneration is what produces faith. Because only those who have been regenerated receive it. This is the point that we see in 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1 reads, Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, has been born of God. And everyone who loves the one who gives new birth loves also the one who's been born of him. You see, it is because you have been born that you believe. There is nobody who has faith in Christ that has not been regenerated by him. 
And anybody who has faith in him that's been regenerated by him has been given that faith as a gift. Now, faith that has been given us, this faith that God gives us, has, it does enable you to believe. And your faith then becomes the instrument that brings about salvation. Let me say that again. Faith is the instrument that brings about salvation. Romans chapter 3, verse 28. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith, apart from the works of the law. To be justified is another way to say to be saved. Also in Romans chapter 10, verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. To believe is to have faith. We looked at Galatians 2.16 earlier. Philippians 3.9, again, a beautiful, a beautiful verse that hammers this home. When Paul says, not having a righteousness of my own, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. You don't get saved because you're smart. You get saved because you placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of the smartest people are the most damned. And some of the most simple people are the most sanctified. Now, this faith that we place in Christ is a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. See, this is, this is from start to finish a Trinitarian work. The Holy Spirit has done a work in the heart of the believer Then a heart transplant. He's taken a heart of stone. He's put in a heart of flesh. That heart of flesh, that's the regeneration process that we see in John chapter 3, verses 5 through 8, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And when he gives you that new heart, it's a heart that beats for Christ. That beating heart, that boom, 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 boom. Every time the heart beats, you can say that beat is a beat of faith. The new heart given to you by the Holy Spirit is pumping faith-enriched blood into your spiritual body. It is the Holy Spirit that regenerates. It is the Holy Spirit that imparts faith. In John chapter 6, verse 63... The spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. Again, if it is the Holy Spirit that gives life, then on your own, you can never exercise saving faith. You are dead in your sins. Romans 3 verses 10 through 18 tell us that the natural man does not seek after God, has no love or desire for God. So this life 
that you're given that brings about faith has to be supernaturally given to you. When was the last time you were in prayer and you said, Lord, thank you for giving me faith to believe? We say thank you for our new spiritual life. Thank you for, you know, saving. But when was the last time you said, just thank you for the fact that you gave me faith? Not just the saving faith entry into the Christian life, even here and now, right? This is saving faith that continues to maintain us, sustain us, and enable us to keep believing, We have to give God thanks and praise that his Holy Spirit lives in us and is continuing to supply us with faith to believe. This morning, I preached in John 15, the vine and the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus says in John 15, 5. That includes faith. Apart from Jesus, you can have no faith on your own. God promised this in Ezekiel 36. When he was speaking of the new covenant that was to come, Ezekiel 36, verses 25 through 27. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you'll be clean. I will cleanse you from all your uncleanliness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to do my judgments. Remember earlier, I said, knowledge of parachutes never doesn't necessarily mean you jump out of airplanes. Only if you really trust that walking in statutes and careful to do my judgments, that is true faith because true faith works it out. Faith is our response to God's effectual call. And the spirit of God is the one who brought that about. So praise be to the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Holy Spirit. Now, this faith that the Holy Spirit brings about in us comes in and through the word of God. So again, I say it all the time, the Alpo Church is an annoyingly biblical church. And so in that regard, there will probably be a, a charge, a, a call, every message to get into the word until the word gets into you. And so faith comes also through the word of God. And that means we must always remember that the spirit of God works through the word of God to make us children of God. The spirit of God works through the word of God to make us children of God. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. It is through the word that the Holy Spirit draws people to Christ. John 6, 64. But there are some of you who do not believe for Jesus knew from the beginning who they, who they were who did not believe and who it was who betray him. And he was saying, for this reason, I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him from the father. Jesus is speaking. Jesus is the Logos. Jesus is the word of God. Nobody can come to the Father except through the Son. 
the word. And then when Jesus ascends and sits at the right hand of the Father, he sends his Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit says, I will bring to remembrance all that the Son has said to you. And that is the recorded in the scriptures. Romans chapter 10. Verse 14. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how will they believe him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? Verse 17. So faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Contrary to popular belief, you don't preach the gospel when necessary, use words. You preach the gospel always by using words. Nobody gets saved because you are somehow just such a nice person. Wow, look at the way they live. They must be a follower of Jesus Christ. I totally want to deny myself, repent of my sin, and trust in him. That never happens. I don't care how many times you get coffee for your coworkers. That's not going to lead them to Christ. What's going to lead them to Christ is when you play, when you share the word of God and the spirit of God works through the sharing of the word to give them new hearts. Faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And that's just not, that's saved, that we're talking here about salvation, but it's the same for us. If your faith is struggling, and we'll look at this in a bit, if your faith is struggling, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Strengthen your faith by strengthening your time in the word. First Peter chapter one, verses 22 and 23. Since you have in obedience to the truth, that's the word, purified your souls for a love of the brothers without hypocrisy. Fervently love one another from the heart. Here it is. For you have been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible. That is through the living and enduring word of God. You came to faith through the living and enduring word of God when the spirit of God worked through that and gave you a new heart a new mind, new desires. How many in here, I wonder this, this evening, are at that place of saying, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, but my faith, I feel like my faith is on life support right now. It's struggling. I'm barely hanging on. Did you know you don't have to remain there, that you can strengthen your faith, that you can increase your faith? You can increase and strengthen your faith faith every day by giving yourselves to the everyday means of grace that God has provided. You can strengthen your faith through the ministry of the word preached. You can strengthen your faith through the daily intake of reading and meditating on the God's word, through Bible study, through scripture memorization, through gathering with God's people corporately. Every week we come to this table that's before us and our faith is strengthened by the bread and the cup. By baptism, 
Baptism strengthens your faith. There have been many times that I've, I've had moments, seasons of doubt, that dark night of the soul, and I think back on my baptism, and I, no, I publicly said I am not ashamed of Christ. And I think back on that, and God uses that to hold me tight. Luke 17.5 shows us that our faith can grow. Luke 17.5 reads, And the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. That can be a prayer. Lord, increase my faith. That's a three-word prayer that's dynamite. You feel like you're barely hanging on. You don't have the spiritual drive to open your Bible, but you can sit there and say, Lord, increase my faith. First Peter, again, 2-2, two, two, once more. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. The word of God is central to strengthening and growing. As a baby taking milk grows, so do we as we take in the word of God. We can increase our faith. I mentioned communion, the Lord's Supper, which is near and dear to me. Listen to how Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was being betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. Faith comes through hearing and hearing to the word of Christ. Right? We actually proclaim something of the gospel when we partake of the Lord's Supper. Our faith, therefore, is nourished and strengthened as we come to the table and we remember all that Christ has done for us. I mentioned baptism. Do you realize step one of being a Christian, according to Jesus's formula of making disciples, is baptism. You came to true faith. They validated, okay, this is a true person who truly came to faith. Now we baptize him because that is identifying with the body of Christ. In baptism, you declare you're not ashamed of him. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 talks to us about the role of the local church in strengthening our faith. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. There's that confidence, confide, 
all the more as you see the day drawing near. These are ways that God has given us to increase the saving faith that he has supplied to us. By faith, we also, I don't know if you realize this, it's by faith that you believe the Bible. So here's a question I have. Do you read the Bible with faith? Or have you never even thought about that? There's a way to read the Bible that's faithless. But there's a way to read the Bible by faith, meaning you come to it and you say, Lord, help me see spiritual realities, not just propositional truths. Lord, help me actually feel your character, your love, everything about you as, as I read here. This is why a practice, this is why you should pray before you read. Lord, help me increase my faith. Because it's by faith that you actually believe the scriptures. Everything that he's revealed to us in his word and the fact that we hold his word as the highest authority is by faith. You don't believe, I hope not. I hope you don't believe the Bible, God's word, and I hope you don't hold it as the strongest authority because you just, you were a part of a really awesome lights out apologetics teaching. Wow. That guy really, man, his arguments are sound. I believe the Bible. Until somebody that's just as sound on the other side comes around, then what happens? I hope you don't believe the word of God and hold it as your highest authority because of textual criticism. Man, you know, all these manuscripts came in. We got all these manuscripts within these many years. No other work of antiquity has as many manuscripts. You know, even if you check the textual variants, you're still within a 99.8 percentile range. Totally believe the Bible. Been there. Taught that. Repented of it. Because you have to believe by faith. This is what he tells us. The grace of faith within us in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God breathed. That's why you believe it, because God spoke it. 2 Peter 1.3, he tells us he's given us everything for life and godliness in there. It is because of faith that we hold the word of God to be far more important and far more valuable and far more excellent than anything else written in the history of man. And if you took all of the greatest works of literature, all of the best written things and put them all together, it would still look like dung compared to the word of God. Because the word of God is the diamond that shines. Listen to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. The law of Yahweh is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of Yahweh is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of Yahweh are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of Yahweh is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of Yahweh is clean, enduring forever. 
The judgments of Yahweh are true. They're righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, even more than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey to the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your slave is warned. In keeping them, there's great reward. I don't think David wrote that because the Frank Turek or Lee Strobel of his day convinced him. Because he had faith. And that faith allowed him to truly behold his God. Psalm 119, verse 72. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. David was king. He had all the riches he could want. But by faith, he saw the true value of the word of God. You will never be able to value God's word in this way apart from faith. At best, it'll be intellectually stimulating, but it won't be better to you than thousands of gold and silver pieces. And it's by faith because by faith in his word, we behold the very glory of God. By faith, we see the very excellencies of Christ. By faith, we see the power of the Holy Spirit at work. By faith, we experience the love, compassion, and mercies of God. It's by faith that we can entrust our very souls to God, therefore. Faith enables us to properly respond to this word as well. Not just to behold, not just to understand, but faith is what enables us to properly respond to his word. When we engage God's word with true saving faith is when we respond accordingly. Because other than by faith, you you only respond to the word of God as a mental exercise if you're not responding by faith. We obey command by faith. We really obey commands that God gives us. It's that faith that keeps us up at night. Lord, I got to do this thing. It's by faith that we, we make that decision and obey no matter what it's going to cost. It's by faith that we take the threats and the warnings that God gives us seriously and tremble at them. Now, there's a novel idea. When was the last time you had read a warning passage or a threat from God and it caused your heart to all of a sudden start racing a little quicker? To say, you know what? I got to cancel that appointment because I got to do business with the Lord because I'm a little concerned right now of where I'm at. That comes by faith. But if you're just checking a, a devotional box, I got to get my five minute devotion in today. That's not faith, that's a mental exercise. That's, hey, there's good moral principles in here for living. That's not necessarily faith. If the word of God only comforts you and never disturbs you, you're probably not reading it by faith because the word of God has to disrupt your life as much as it comforts your life. A God that happens to always agree with you is probably a God you made up. Not the God that you have to believe in by faith. 
It's by faith that we can actually hold fast to the promises of God, that hard decision that's going to cost you, that you don't know how it's going to turn out. But the Lord said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or my children begging for bread. Okay, I'm going to make the hard choice by faith. It's by faith that you're willing to look foolish to the world because God has promised something in his word. Listen to Isaiah chapter 66, verse 2. For my hand made all these things. Thus, all these things came into being, declares Yahweh. But to this one, I will look. Really important here. Who's God saying, I'm going to fix my gaze upon? But to this one, I will look. To him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Do you want God's loving gaze upon you? Learn to tremble at his word, but you only will do that if you pick his word up by faith. Most importantly, faith helps us focus principally on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because faith is how we come to accept, receive, and rest upon Jesus. It's faith in Jesus by which we are justified, sanctified, and ultimately glorified. We have a duty to place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 11.6 tells us that we are required to know and to please him. Romans 14.23 tells us that whatever is not of faith is sin. In John 14, 14 verse 1, Jesus does not mince words. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Christ commands you to believe. Acts 16.31. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. We must respond by faith, by believing. Now, I, I don't want you to think that I'm saying faith is necessarily like this thing, this force. Faith is the grace of God at work in your life, enabling you to believe and to trust. Faith is confidence, assurance, that everything that God has promised to you in his word through his son will come to pass. Now, faith wavers in size. Your faith may be the size of a mustard seed today. In other, there are seasons in your life where it was the size of a mountain. Faith will always change in size and in strength and in vitality because we're human. And we struggle in this world. There are going to be seasons where your faith is weak. Concern will grip your heart. You'll wonder, am I even saved? In those moments, go back to those means of grace that we talked about to increase your faith. The seasons of weak faith will not last for those who have truly repented and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter denied Jesus three times. That's a moment of pretty weak faith. 
But because God had affectionately called Peter to himself, regenerated him and gave him faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan was not able to sift him. He was restored. His faith was strengthened to such a degree that he gave his life for his Lord. You are not saved by the size of your faith. You're saved by the object of your faith, who is Christ. Let me go this far to say weak faith is still true faith. I'm not saying be content with weak faith. But in those moments of weak faith, if you're honestly broken up about it, remember weak faith is still a true faith. Dark clouds will roll in. There's promises in scripture to help us get through that. Just this Saturday, we studied the life of David when he sinned by sleeping with Bathsheba, killing Uriah, lying, manipulation, breaking... On the second tablet of the Ten Commandments, those six, those six of them, he broke four of them right there. His faith was weak, but he was a man after God's own heart because he repented and trusted. Weak faith is true faith. Weak faith will not always be weak faith for those who truly avail themselves to Christ. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 and 5. For everything that has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the overcoming that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. By faith, you will overcome your seasons of weak faith. If God has given you saving faith, then your faith will mature and your faith will grow with time. Now, some will have stronger faith than others because some people just work harder at it, to be honest. Some people go to the everyday means of grace more than others and live there. Don't envy a brother or sister if their faith is stronger than yours. Humble yourself and ask them to disciple you and help you have a stronger faith. Colossians chapter two, verse two, so that their hearts may be encouraged, having been held together in love, even unto all the wealth of the full assurance of understanding unto the full knowledge of God's mystery. That is Christ himself. Give yourself to that and your faith will mature. Fix your eyes on Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith, as it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse two. Let me close by saying this, church, true, lasting, abiding, saving faith is a gift from God that he has granted to you in his sovereign goodness. Therefore, praise him and give him thanks. Storm his throne room in prayer. And as the apostle said to Jesus, ask him each day, increase my faith. You do that with a humble and contrite heart, as we saw in Isaiah 66. He will honor that request, and your faith will be grown. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are not a, a selfish, stingy father, but you are a father full of generosity to those who truly seek you in love and in obedience. We thank you, Lord Jesus. That through your perfect life, 
your substitutionary death, your burial, and your resurrection, we can be united to you by faith. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you've given us the faith to believe in what our Lord has done. We thank you, Father, that you in eternity past effectually predestined us to yourself, that you purchased us, Christ, and that you, Holy Spirit, sealed us and hold on to us. And so I pray here and now for every single one of us who are part of the Outpost Bible Church, we ask you, we plead, we beg, increase our faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.